Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield Approval. If you're looking to buy a home, Rate Shield Approval is a game changer, and here's why. Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop, and if rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops, so you win either way. It's the kind of thinking you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Tuesday, November 6th. Happy Democracy Day. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Matt Argusinger. And we are both sporting our I Voted stickers. We are. I think I think your votes count a little more than mine. <laughs> Just me living in D.C. Yes. It's a terrible joke, but that, somewhat true. It's funny because it's true. Um, we're going to get to the latest restaurant to be taken private. And yes, of course, we're going to talk about Amazon's second headquarters. Let's start, though, with some earnings from Marriott International. Uh, third quarter results, not what the market was looking for. The stock is down about 5%. How worried should shareholders be on this one? Because I'm not a Marriott shareholder, but I just sort of look at I just look at this industry. I look at the strength of the U.S. economy, and I think if you had asked me before they Issued their report, I would have said, "Oh, they're probably doing well." I would have, I would have thought the same things because we are, you know, we're at a point in the, you know, the economy is the best it's been in eight years. Uh, people are presumably traveling. Business is good, so business travelers uh, are also traveling. Yeah, employment is up, wages are up, all of the above, and so yet, yeah, but this is a c- company that that has struggled recently. I think they've missed. I think this might be the third quarter in a row. I'm not sure about that that they've missed their own revenue estimates, but. What's striking about it is the slowness in North America, uh, which is obviously their biggest market. Uh, the revenue per available room in North America up just 0.6% in the quarter. And their guidance for 2019, again, looking at North America, up just one to th- between 1% and 3%. So that's surprising to me. The economy is strong, as we've said. Um, and it gets me thinking about things that are thought but not spoken. And in Marriott's case, it might be. The rise of Airbnb, which, by the way, at a private market capitalization, I couldn't believe this when I saw it, but Airbnb's private market valuation is about $30 billion right now. That's not much smaller than Marriott. Marriott's about a $40 billion company. So, Airbnb's really right on, the, on, on their tail. And uh, it's just, so I think about that, I think about the competition there. And I also think about you know, the rise in uh, teleconferencing. You know, the communication keeps getting better. And so, maybe the, the need for business travel is waning a little bit. So those are kind of two maybe big trends in the economy that are a bit of headwinds. But still, you look at Marriott, merged with Starwood, now by far the biggest hotel company in the world. You know, something in the order of 1.3 million rooms, almost 3,000 properties, 120 million. Probably the most important number: 120 million rewards members. Now that Starwood is combined with Marriott, so this is a massive company, a great barometer, I think, for the economy. And yet, it's showing you that business in North America is not strong. And I think that's. That's interesting. So, you look at the hotel business, and, and Marriott is not the only one dealing with this, but you look at, over the last 20 years, the rise of businesses like Expedia, Priceline, now Booking Holdings, that sort of thing. Certainly, the hotels have benefited from being on those platforms, but as Marriott has gotten to the size that it's at, you mentioned the Starwood acquisition, at any point does it make sense for Marriott to consider Leaving those other platforms and just saying, "Hey, if you want to book in any one of our fine properties, there's only one place to do it. 
because it's great to be on those other platforms, but you're giving them a scrape of the business. No, I, I, I like that thought because if there's any hotel chain that could do it, besides you know Hilton, it, it's Marriott. I mean, it, it's they have the size, they have the the rewards member base to actually make a dent in a market like that and have some clout. Um, but again, you know, it's it's one of those things. We live in a world where assets businesses are chasing customers, chasing eyeballs. The OTAs, as you mentioned, they have all the eyeballs, they have all the, the, the mobile transactions that, that these hotel chains want to be a part of. And so, going out on your own is, is expensive and it's risky. Uh, and do you really want to shut off those distribution channels and go out on your own? It's, it, it'd be a risky shot, but I think Marriott is one company that could probably pull it off. So, you look at the strength of this brand, in a lot of other cases, stock dropping, it's not falling through the floor, down about you know 5% or so today. This might be a situation where investors look at that and say, oh, I can, I can get shares a little bit cheaper than I could yesterday. I don't know, though. I mean, you tell me, is this a buying opportunity? Because they were pretty tepid with their guidance. I know. This is one of those ones where you look at, I mean, look at the 52 week high, it's almost 150 a share. Here we're looking at, I'm looking at right now, it's about 113. You know that's and then you know adding in today's drop that's that's pretty far off its its highs, but you're right. When I see guidance like that where where it's very tepid, you almost want to see something like that turn around. And by the way, Marriott again, a lot of companies fall into this place. They've been buying back a lot of stock, especially over the past year, at much higher prices. You know those are the kind of capital allocation decisions you don't like to see. You'd rather have them investing in the business, especially when they're facing what looks like a pretty competitive market. Let's move to the restaurant space. And as I mentioned, yet another restaurant being taken private. This time, it is Jason Moser's beloved Bojangles, which <laughs> is being bought by Durational. I think I have that right. Durational Capital Management. They're buying them out at a price of $16.10 a share, which is, I don't know, a nickel or so higher than it was <laughs> yesterday. But you were telling me before we started taping, this is. This is a higher premium than uh, would appear. Well, it's, at it's, least in terms of when Durational started getting involved in this. Correct. So if you look at, and I think this is really peculiar. And uh, you know, Jason, if Jason was here, he'd be calling it the Jangler. This is very strange from the Jangler. But if you look at it, the company actually called this out. It's a thirty-nine percent premium from when there was speculation about about a potential deal back in February twelfth. And that's interesting because that that that's that's the company saying, well, we weren't involved in that, but there was speculation back in February, and look, it's up 39% since then. Well, that's I, that doesn't really make sense to me. What what does make sense is though they did say that the offer is a 15% premium to the closing price on September 27th, and that was the day that Bojangles formally came out and said, yes, we're exploring strategic alternatives. You can bet that Durational was probably involved at that point, so or at least shortly after that date. So it's a 15% premium from there. Still, as a shareholder, you know, you're used to seeing you're waking up in the morning, a company you own has been bought out, you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, all right, what's the premium? Is it a 25% gain, 30%, what am I 40%?" And wait a second, it's almost the same price as yesterday, $16.10. What am I getting here? And well, you're getting that these the process obviously started over a month ago. You're getting that that premium. It's it's kind of dissatisfying, but it is what it is. So I'm not even a shareholder, but that was my thought when I saw yeah. on Twitter, oh, ba- Bojangles is is getting bought. And I was like, God, what's what's the multiple going to be? And you know, it's. I would not be surprised if we see Bojangles in the public markets again, because you look at the fact that this is a business right now. This is a regional chain. Uh, Jason's made that point before. I mean, it's a it's a uh, southeastern United States 
uh, chain. They make really good chicken and biscuits. Uh, about 40% of the restaurants are company-owned. So, if you're the, their new owners, Durational Capital Management, you can start to uh, franchise some of those out. Sure, and um, ring the cash register that way. And again, it wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of years it got now. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a stock worth buying in a couple of years when it gets spun out. But I, I, it wouldn't shock me at all if we saw this again. No, I think you're you're onto something there. Uh, you know, this was a stock that I think came public in 2015 at around twenty four dollars a share. Here, it's being bought at about sixteen dollars. So. Shareholder, public shareholders have not done well with this, and we know the business has struggled. It's been tough in the restaurant business. Competition, traffic has been declining, but this does offer the opportunity for a you know private private equity comes in, they sell off some of the underperforming stores, refranchise some of them as you mentioned, uh, kind of right the ship maybe, and you know in in a few years when the market's feeling better about restaurant companies and they're getting higher premiums, boom, there you go. You have a Bojangles IPO. The private equity guys are happy. The shareholders, you know, get a chance to own this company again in the public markets. Uh, you know, it, it's the way it's. We've seen it a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, uh, you know, Sonic, which owns Buffalo Wild Wings, if they come public again at some point when they went private really earlier this year. Uh, you know, Papa John's is on the brink of going private as well or being acquired, and that one is one where hey, take it private for a couple of years, let the you know let the problems come to you know come back into the rearview mirror. Come public again. It's still a successful business at a much higher valuation. I'm glad you mentioned the overall environment because I thought to myself, "Oh, maybe this will be the last public restaurant going private this year." And oh, then I thought, I don't know. "No, we've got eight <laughs> weeks left in 2018. Oh, yeah. It's entirely possible, if not probable, that we're going to see another restaurant taken out." Uh, quick shout out to Rocket Mortgage for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. Interest rates on the rise. There's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home. And Quicken Loans is trying to help, and they're doing it with the power buying process. And it works like this: Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval, and that gives you the strength of a cash buyer. And once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new exclusive Rate Shield approval. They will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. And the best part is, if rates go up, and come on, isn't that? Really, the way to bet that rates are going to go up. They're, they're going up. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. And if rates go down, eh, your rate also drops. But you win either way. And it's the kind of thinking you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Uh, quick programming note, which is that this week is Foolapalooza. It is the Motley Fool's annual meeting. Yes, we have an annual meeting, and uh, we're going to be going away for it. And, the, and when I say going away, I mean tomorrow. So, tomorrow morning we're going to be going, <laughs> but don't worry. <laughs> We're still going to have our regular slate of Market Foolery episodes this week. They're just going to be recorded later today. So the uh, machine, well, the machine known as Chris Hill, does not stop. <laughs> it does not stop just because of Foolapalooza. I'm looking forward to our annual. Meeting. I am too. Uh, I, I like the fact that we have uh, people coming in from other offices. We have our office in Denver. We've got uh, folks in from Australia, from Singapore, um, uh, Canada, UK. It's it's great. I love it. Um, so, because we're not going to be doing, uh, we're not going to be in the studio Wednesday morning, the day after the election, 
um, I guess that means we're going to spare everyone the whole, here's what it means, here's what the election results mean. <laughs> but I, we were talking about this before we started taping. It's, it's always, I, I shouldn't be surprised by this, but there's always the temptation um, in the business media to try and read the tea leaves of, well, if the Democrats can take control of the House of Representatives, here's what it means for stocks, here's what it'll mean if the Republicans mean. And I don't know, I just, maybe it's just because I work at The Motley Fool, but I always look at that stuff and I just sort of shake my head and say, no, not really. Like, it's it just, yes, there are some, I don't want to say that elections don't matter. Of course they matter, and everyone should vote. Um, if for no other reason than it's, uh, think of it as renewing your license to complain. Because if you don't vote, <laughs> yeah, right. you don't you don't get to complain. That's that's how that goes. Um, but uh, just in terms of like having huge implications for business, I don't know. I never think of it that way. I don't either. And it's kind of the ultimate application of that old Buffett quote, which is in the short term, stocks, everything is it's a, you know it's a voting machine, and in the long term, it's a weighing machine. And that that's really the way to look at it. I'm seeing. You see the same headlines every two years, you know, and I see them this morning. It's like, well, you know, like you said, if the Democrats win, there's going to be gridlock, and then when stocks are going to fall because they're not going to, you know, no, there are going to be more regulations, and and they're not going to get a tax cut again. And again, if the Republicans maintain control, it's great for business, and stocks should rally. I, 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 I wouldn't expect. I, I saw the same things before the presidential election, and I think essentially the opposite felt like it happened. Well, yeah. So I, I remember. Um, I think Morgan Housel wrote an article years ago about sort of pronouncements, particularly before presidential elections, and or or even in the wake of them. So you know, when George W. Bush was elected in 2000, there were all these. It's like here's here are the industries that are going to do great, and in fact, over those eight years, they actually didn't do so great. <laughs> Same thing with Obama when he got elected. That's right. Um, although I uh, and this is this is uh, I'm going to quote uh, Neil Brennan, who's a comedian I uh, enjoy a great deal. Great. Netflix special. Uh, if you're if you're a fan of stand-up specials uh, on Netflix, Neil Brennan has a great special called Three Mics, uh, and it's a very creative format that he did for his stand-up special. But he wrote on Twitter, uh, and I'll clean this up for our audience. Um, for people who say you don't vote because none of this affects your actual life, California has a proposal that ends daylight savings time. So you can vote and literally change the time, like <laughs> Marty McFly or something. <laughs> That's so great. So anyway. Um, Amazon. Oh, yeah. Second headquarters. It is not official yet, but certainly we've seen um, significant news organizations come out with stories about how this appears to be winding up. First, it was the Wall Street Journal, and now we have the New York Times. And initially, it was the second headquarters is going to be in Crystal City, northern Virginia, which is a couple miles from where you and I are sitting. You had called this out uh, a week or two ago based on a number of things, including, as you pointed out to me, the betting odds. Yes, which was extraordinary to see that uh, all of a sudden, Northern Virginia, which includes Crystal City, the odds certainly came suddenly came better than even money, and all the other, you know, whether whether it was Boston or Atlanta, were still six to one, ten to one, but Virginia was better than even money to get Amazon. And, so, and now it appears as though. The second headquarters is going to be split, <laughs> which which I would then posit. Well, it's not a second headquarters then; it's a couple of very large uh, regional offices. Uh, you tell me, are we down to two cities? Because it, I saw. Well, it's going to be two locations, and the three finalists for those two locations are Crystal City, Dallas, mm-hmm. and New York City. Yeah, is it now down to just Crystal City and 
New York, or or is Dallas still in the mix? Like, it, it seems like it's going to be Crystal City plus one. I think so. I, that would be my bet, and I would say the plus one has got to be Dallas or Austin, maybe, but probably Dallas. Uh, New York. You don't think it's going to be New York? I don't think it's going to be New York, I and mean, I'm ready to be wrong on this. And that, and I say this because when I when I look at Amazon, I look at the next several years for the company. What is the biggest risk facing Amazon? Well, it's regulation. It's the idea that they're too big, they're too involved, and they have too big a market share in certain markets. They need to be broken up or regulated in some fashion. And by the way, that's probably the biggest risk for companies like Alphabet and Facebook as well. Absolutely. So, what do I do if I'm Jeff Bezos and I'm and I'm Amazon? I think about well, what's the best way to spread my political clout, you know, and kind of build up my political defenses? And that is, you know, what having two east or two coastal hubs. Which are well the HQ in Seattle, and then a big hub in a coastal area. That's and by the way, Northern Virginia. I know we're Virginia, but Northern Virginia is relatively progressive. It kind of votes along with DC, which tends to be a, a fairly liberal part of the country, the, or you know, or Boston or New York. It's it's you're you're kind of you're hinging your prospects to two progressive parts of the country. If instead you went to Dallas or Austin, you know, and and you said, okay, we're going to also have a, a big hub down there. It kind of it, it builds your defenses, I think, better for the long term. You can say like, no, wait a second, we have, you know, our second or third largest employee base in a big red state like Texas. I'm sorry if we're getting. I know we're getting too in the political weeds here, but I think with Amazon, it, it is that sort of fundamental risk over the next several years. And having, I would say, having two coastal hubs probably less optimal if you're thinking about that risk. Well, and also just from a facility standpoint, you look at the the airport facilities in. Dallas. Oh, yeah. The infrastructure is, is fantastic. The infrastructure is fantastic. I, so, what do you make of the uh, the uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth among some in the business media that I've seen that oh, Amazon was just stringing everybody along and they were always. Gonna, I, I don't know. I just I, no. maybe I, I don't think it's because I'm a shareholder. Maybe it is because I'm a shareholder. But I just sort of look at that and I thought. And I used our colleague Shannon McClendon as an example because Shannon like heads up our ops, our office ops team here. And I just thought, you know, the idea that some are putting forward that Amazon was always going to be going to more than one city, and they were just stringing these cities along, sort of dangling this carrot of we're going to bring fifty thousand jobs, but really the plan all along was we're going to split it among two. And I just thought, if I were the Shannon McClendon of Amazon, and I, I would not be thinking that all. I, all along, I'd be thinking, no, I want one. I want one big office. That's enough of a Herculean task. Oh yeah. Now it's I got to open two. Yes, as we discussed for the show, I think you 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 put it exactly right. It's this is a process. This wasn't. This was no. I don't think this was a preordained strategy. I think they said, you know, we're going to explore this. Our aim is to have a second headquarters. We're too. Seattle's become too big. We're, we have too much of our population. Too much of our assets there. Let's find one big strategic place to have a second headquarters. But in the process of, and how long is this? This is over a year now, at least, maybe even 18 months that they've been on this process. I don't remember the Yeah, exact I mean, date. The, be- the beginning of this year was when the list of 20 finalists came out. Right. And it down from over 100, yeah. I think, at the time. So this, is a, this has been a process. And I think probably during at some point in this process, they said, hey, you know, actually it makes sense. And we've, 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 We've taken a look at the landscape. We've observed the infrastructure. We've observed the marketplace, and now we see. Okay, well, this one has, this one's compelling for for these reasons. This other one over here is compelling for those reasons. 
why not be flexible in our thinking and say, you know what, and now it makes sense to have two large, as you put it, regional uh, hubs as opposed to two big headquarters. And so now we maintain our headquarters in Seattle, but we have two of these large regional hubs uh, in different parts of the country. Uh, and that's we t- taking advantage of different fundamental factors at each of those places. It makes sense. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if this was a decision made a month ago, and that's fine. I mean, I think that's how Amazon moves, and I think that's the kind of flexible thinking and capital allocation they bring to the market. Matt Argusinger, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Steve Broido. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.